Warning, the content in this podcast contains some explicit language which may be offensive to some listeners and may be inappropriate for children. Therefore, the content in this podcast is intended for a mature audience only. A strong black woman. And I just remember when I was in college at Howard, you know, I was strong. Yes, ain't you? I was falling in love with my blackness. You know, I became quite militant. And the term that was going around was strong black woman. And we was pumping out this in the air, strong black woman. Strong black, yes, I'm a strong black woman. I don't need no man. Then I got older. <laughs> and I had a child. And life started happening. And I realized I wasn't this strong black woman that I kept pumping my fist. And then I started thinking about it. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a stereotype. Because to call us strong black woman is to dehumanize us, actually. Because what it's saying is that, oh, she's strong, she can handle that. Oh, she got raped, oh, but she's strong, look how she came out of that. You know, her kid got killed last night, but that's a strong black woman. It dehumanizes us, it makes us superhuman. Remember that term tossed around in the White House? And that's dangerous. So be careful with that term, strong black woman. Matter of fact, I don't want to be strong all the time. I need help. I do. I need help. And I would like my husband to be. I've finally got you one. You know, we need each other. You understand what I'm saying? I I don't want to do this by myself. I don't want to be a strong black woman. Not the stereotypical one. So be careful with throwing that term around. Understand what it does to us. It dehumanizes us, so be careful. It's okay to need help. It's okay. Yeah, I, just, I just want to add on to what Taraji just said. That's one of the main reasons that I started to do the work on myself. Because I think a lot of times as men, we take our sisters for granted only because we think they are so strong. And you know, I think about like my mom, when she had gotten divorced from my father, and I remember she used to be in the room listening to Lauryn Hill X Factor over and over, and in my mind, I'm like, damn, my mom cool as hell, she listening to Lauryn Hill, but she was really in pain. And you know, she had five kids she had to raise, and I never even saw her flinch about it, cry about it, nothing. But then, you know, the past couple years, she told me that she was going to therapy for it and things of that nature. And even just, you know, my wife, like, you know, me and my wife, we've been together 22 years today. It's like... Happy anniversary! We got, we got, we got, we got, Three, three little girls at home, and you know, in my mind, I'm like, uh, I, I don't even realize all the stuff that I put on her over the years, and just you know, assuming like she can handle it or she can she can deal with it. But it comes a point in time for us as men, we got to start doing the work on ourselves because we got to help lighten the load for the women in our lives. So I, I, I never even thought about it until you know I heard you say that about the strong black woman. But I've been thinking about that over the past three, four years. We just think that black women are just so. And they can handle any damn thing that comes their way, but we don't even stop to take the time to even ask, you know, sister, you alright? You know, we just assume it. And I even remember like like four or five years ago, just hearing my homegirls talking, they'd be like, yo, you know, black men don't listen to us and black men hate us. And I'm like, that's never been the case in my life because I've raised by my mother and my grandmother, and you know, I have a black wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so for me, 
the sisters have always been the strongest people in my life, but you don't never, you never stop to think, yo, what is your mother going through? What is your grandmother going through? What is your significant other going through? So I would just encourage all the brothers in the room, man, go do the work on yourself. Go get some therapy, go get some healing on yourself just so we can lighten the load for our sisters. So, when you fall in love with hip-hop, right here what we're going to do is go back. I don't really give a if I was just the only one. This is Smoke and Tea, this is Capri. This is Dante. And this is Mika. And we have a guest with us today. You want to introduce yourself? Oh, sure. These men. <laughs> <laughs> We've warmed up already. Yeah, we're really happy to have her today. We've talked about everything. We've had some really good conversation. <laughs> we have. So, um, we are back. I'm not feeling well, so I'm going to fall back a little bit today. You can fall back. I don't feel well either. Look, we both got sick on the cruise, so we're both trying to get over it. Both of us, so like, you guys had have sore throats. Yeah, had sore throats. Um, I don't know what this is. Congestion, chest was burning, throat was burning, I was coughing. I'm a little bit, I'm much better today, but I just still don't feel like 100%. Um, yesterday, I was in bed all day. That's good. Changing climate, sometimes you just gotta, your body's gotta adjust. So. so Yeah, I was confused. I'm like, how am I sick out here and it's nothing but water? Like, I'm on the ocean. Like, how am I sick? <laughs> your body's like, where the dry dirt is? Exactly. Right. <laughs> Everybody's like, where's the red dirt? Right. I didn't know if it was like allergies going on. I mean, I just, I mean, I didn't know. So, yeah. Wasn't so, good. But yeah. yeah. So, um, we enjoyed ourselves. We're back to real life now. Real life. I go back to work tomorrow. Me too. I thought about calling in. Would that be wrong? <laughs> I, was well. on, I took off Thursday and then we left Friday and then I was like, man, I didn't have the whole weekend, but I thought about calling in today. I mean, and I, and I didn't have the whole weekend. I got up Friday morning, Javion had football camp for Swasu and yesterday Jaden had pictures. She had to have her makeup done at 8 o'clock. So I had to be up at 6. Ew. So no weekend rest at all. Yeah. I thought about calling in tomorrow too because I'm not mm -hmm. supposed to, uh, Naya has a college tour from nine at like nine in the morning. Um, Legend's supposed to be at a basketball camp, but at nine, I think I'm stretching myself too much. I realized that too. Um, I think I am stretching myself Step too much. Stretch. So, yeah. Right. So um, we may have to figure something else out. He may not be able to go to the camp. Uh, but he's supposed to be going to Young Achievers this week. So either way, it'll be okay. But um, yeah, I thought about it. I was like, I don't know that I'm going to make it. I'm supposed to go in tomorrow afternoon, but I don't think I'm going to make it. Sounds like a call in to me. I think yeah. both y'all should call in. That way y'all can give each other support. Right. Yeah. Like, I'll be there. I'll be there bright and early in the morning. I'll be all right. I just need to go to bed early and then I'll be all right. Um, I probably won't be there tomorrow because it'll be 12 o'clock tomorrow. I then ran around, did the college tour, hold Shanaz. I'm probably going to be there bright and early what Tuesday. Uh, OU is where we're starting off at. Oh, okay. So we're just doing, like, I just made her call and just schedule a bunch of tours. I was like, you need to schedule some tours so you can see some colleges, some, see some universities. And see what it city. looks like before, mm -hmm. because, like, I went to exactly. OU and we didn't go, like, do a tour tour. You know, I guess back in the 90s, they just didn't do that. And then when we picked where we stayed, oh, my God. So, yeah, do the tour. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you'll get you there and be did like. Did you graduate from OU? I graduated from OU. My first degree I'm a, is in accounting from OU. 1997. Okay. Oh, wow. 
Okay. You I said accounting? I try not to talk about that. <laughs> what's, what's, okay, so so what's wrong with that degree? Because I've heard a lot of positive, a positives, so like, pros, so give me some comments. Like, why did you not, like, pursue that one? Well, I still use it, and it, it was effective, because I still use it today, like, in my business, but it didn't fit my personality. It wasn't, it was what my mom thought I should do, because I'd always been good with numbers, and so <laughs> I was good with math. And and she was just like, you should be an accountant. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go to school for accounting. But once I got into the field and I got all this personality, you see my big old bubbly self walking into the accounting department. So in the accounting department, it's all quiet. I come in there, good morning, y'all. And everybody's like. <laughs> A bunch of uptight people. Uptight. And then I had to go sit at my desk and everybody all quiet all day. And I'm just, you know, bubbly. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm out there with the guys, you know, because I worked at Lexus, um, Eskridge Lexus. And so it's all quiet in the county department. So I'd be out there with the mechanics because, you know, they were more my speed. And so I, I just, I loved, I loved the way they treated me. I loved the job, but. It just wasn't for me. You know, I could do it, but I should have pursued what I wanted to pursue. How long did you do that? Oh, my God, a couple of years. Oh, okay. And then I was a single parent. So, you know, with accounting, um, it does afford you a good living. You know, it was enough to pay my bills and take care of my son. And, you know, and, and working for Lexus, you always have a nice car. Um, you know, so it was, a, it was good to me. I'm not going to say that it was bad. I'm very grateful. I still have relationships with... Mr. Eskridge, I mean, but it just wasn't the job for me. It, I shouldn't have been what I pursued. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you can do it. You That's need true. to let your children um, find their strengths and find what brings them joy and then let them do that. So and they'll be all, more successful. We always talk about, like, our dream and, like, stepping away from our job. It's funny that she's, like, doing that. So, yes. like, we talked about that. Me and Mika have talked about <laughs> okay. that. Okay. Dante hasn't really talked about that. Me and Mika have talked I about like it. I like my job. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> she cold. Right. Yeah. Right. That's why. We've talked about, like, stepping away from our job. And both of us being single parents at the time, like, the ability to be able to step away from your job and do what you enjoy doing right. versus what you have to do when you have kids is always just so hard. Like, it's just, that's a hard decision to, decision make. to yeah. make. So, right. how did you make that decision and, like... Oh man, um, for me, um, it was different. I end up getting married, but still, even when you get married and you join your incomes, what do you do? You get in that same rhythm. I thought it was gonna change. I was like, I'm about to get married, I'm about to be <laughs> and then you get married and then you fall in the same thing again. And now you have children and you know you get married, you get happy, you had the next one. And so then you've got activities and different things. And so for me it was just stepping out on faith and just saying, you know what, I'm not happy. And actually, I didn't. I, I wish I could tell you it was a glorious step out on faith, um, but um, it almost cost me my life. Um, I worked a job. I, I ended up moving into insurance and finance because that was a little bit more diverse. Um, they would allow me to do things, and that's where I learned that I like people. And I learned that I like teaching. And I, I liked talking to people. Everybody doesn't like talking to people. Right. And so I like talking to people. And, and I could still work with the numbers because it was insurance and finance. So I could still use my skills. But then I still could use people. And then one day, um, they had me do an interview for March of Dimes um, where I did an interview on television. And, man, we did that segment. That producer came over and was like, have you been on television before? And I was like, no. I said, but it sure was fun. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, 
you're good. And I was like, okay. And I never thought about it, but when I was a kid, I had a dream. And my dream was to be a doctor of the mind. Um, that meant I wanted to go to school and be a doctor. I didn't want to cut people. I wanted to write books. I wanted to travel the world. And my little extra thing, just in case all that other stuff didn't work out, I wanted to be on TV. And so I had not realized that when I walked in that station and did that, I was realizing my dream. And it must have been my natural skill because you got a producer from a major network walking in going, have you been on television before? And I had never, never been on television because when I was little, people told me when I would tell people, you know, you're on a playground, you're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everybody else is like, I'm going to be a fireman, policeman. You know, I'm going to Dewey. We on the east side. So everybody wants to. <laughs> I don't know if little kids still want to be policemen. <laughs> but back in the 80s, back in the 80s, you know, they want to be policemen and firemen and um, a teacher. And, and that was the things to be. And I come out talking about, I want to write books. I want to be a doctor of the mind. I want to travel the world. And I want to be on TV. And, you know, the first thing people told me is like, you is too black to be on TV. Don't nobody want to see you. They don't, they don't, we, we're not on TV. Yeah. And they were like, you lucky if you get off 34th Street. Don't none of us go nowhere. We all still here. Our grandmas are still here. Our mamas and dads are still here. And we going to be here. And think about it. When I would walk from Dewey, I lived across the street from Dewey. If I wanted to see my aunt, I went three houses down. If I wanted to see my grandmother, it was six blocks down. So, you know what? In my mind, they were right. And so when I went to high school and different things like that, and my mama was just like, you know, giving me the safe route, you know, to do the safe thing instead of going into journalism or going into engineering, what did I do? I went right into accounting because it was easy for me. I was like, I was just like my son that I told you about before we started recording. <laughs> I, I was taking that easy route because it was just something I could do, but I did not enjoy it. I, um, I've always been the dreamer in my oh, family. i have one. <laughs> I was a dreamer and then I had my daughter and so then some of my dreams started having to that started having to dim that light a little bit mm. because I had to get into reality and um for the first time in life I struggled after I had my daughter you know so it was the struggle and that struggle started paving the way for my life and I've learned that I like like um I'm not necessarily like enjoying the things like I I am the big dreamer it's funny she said like a dream like I do have like these moments where I dream about things that like I feel like are visions they are if you're awake it's a vision yeah and I always remember them so vividly Mm -hmm. like they're like my dream like a vision to something and so when I get into that space um I get afraid, which I was telling somebody one day, um, last week, a couple weeks ago, I was like, um, I feel like the podcast and the way that the podcast is going is starting to scare me. But this time I'm like, no, I'm not going to run away from it. I'm just going, we're going to face it head on. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep pushing forward. But like, I'm in my element when we do this so much more than anything else I do in my life. So I just keep praying that whatever he has for me in this space, we can keep pushing. Cause I was in journalism. That was my thing. I went to college because I went, I had this big dream. I was going to be an editor of a huge magazine. I was going to be the first black editor of a magazine. I was going to do that. That was my dream. When I went to college, I was 
just gung-ho. I was, I wanted to be a writer. I still sometimes write from time to time. Um, not as much as I used to, but I was going to be a writer. And then I had my daughter and then I was just like, okay, so I have to now provide a meal for this kid. And so then I had to just take whatever was available. And I didn't always have the easier path. Like, um, it was, I wasn't all the way out of college and I had this misconstrued notion that you could get a good job without a degree. Mika figured it out. Yeah. I, I didn't figure that. But everybody, <laughs> everybody don't. But everybody they, they was kind of drink. They was kind of feeding us some Kool Aid <laughs> to try to keep some of us out because they knew they could pay us less. But we didn't know that yet. Yes, right. I learned that the hard way. So I had um, at one point in time, I started getting so hungry for this degree because I was like, I got to get it. I had four jobs. Oh wow! I was literally getting up in the morning at like six in the morning, going to work, going to school. Going back to work, going back to school, going back to work. I was only seeing my baby when I was putting her to bed. And so, um, it was crazy because I real I started realizing like I don't know how much of this I need, but I remember sitting in a, one of my journalism classes because I was like, I'm chasing this degree and I was sitting there and this man said, You're gonna be broke. You're gonna start off broke, but you know, you'll get there and in my mind I was thinking, I'm already broke. I can't be broken in this, bro. Not help me. Right. At this point, I can't be broken in this. Broken in this. So that, did that deter you from doing it? It did. Okay, because he said you're going to be broke. Yeah. Oh, and he, he was mind, honest with you about the cost that it yeah. was going to cost yeah. you. Yeah. Ah. And instead of saying, you know, dream and the, I, at that point, I just couldn't dream it. anymore. Like, I wouldn't have. But when more. you have a kid. The dynamics are different. Everything yeah. changes when you Everything. have a kid because the reality to... is real. Yeah, real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like real. I mean, real. when it's just you, you yeah. can be broke because you get, you know, I can, you know, maybe sleep here and maybe, you know, eat a meal here and there or whatever. When you got another person to feed, yeah. that's different. I mean, you gotta, you know, yeah, like I reality sets in. I couldn't in. afford like, to dream. Dang, I so I'm doing all this. I'm doing all this. Four jobs already at this point. I'm going to work. I mean, I'm about to be broke. Still going to be broke. Like I'm still. How dare you be real with me, sir? How dare you? I was like, let me go ahead and reconsider some things. I'm gonna go back to the drawing board. But people don't realize what they say to people really affects them. You know, some in a a positive way, some in a negative. So, like what you said about 34th Street. You know, people saying, you know, all you know. All of us live here, and we're going to be here just like our mamas and grandmas our grandparents and, and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people really think that mentally, and they and you stay, could have easily gave up. They right? stay exactly yeah. where they're at. But mm-hmm. like you said, you had a vision, and when you have a bigger vision, you know that you want more. But and it did like, shape my mentality for a long time, though. Yeah, I was trapped in that. But mentality. you went to college, though. Yeah, a lot of people I, don't even I had get to get out of the house. I went to. Yeah, I went to <laughs> <laughs> Manage. Oh man. Uh, the thing that I learned is before I started living my dream, I seemed to have the hardest time balancing. When I was doing what was supposed to be the easy road, it seemed like I was just out of whack. But you know, since you know surviving, you know what I've been through, 
and living my dream, I seem to wear those hats quite well. It's like it's like when you do what the universe is giving you to do, when you do what your assignment is, the universe makes provision. And I, I, I'm also a publisher. I don't advertise. Oh, okay. uh, but I get sent, God sends me my clients and I'm able to help. So I am a writer of books. Not am I just a writer of books. I'm a publisher of books. See, when I was a kid, I thought I was just going to write them all. But I was like, no, you're going to help other people write theirs and help them bring their stories to life. And so I just believe that he gives me balance. And when I say yes to something or when I say no to something, it, it's, it's a balance. I can't say yes to everything and live in balance, right? I got to spend time with my family. I got to spend time with myself. Um, I just believe when you truly follow your dreams... God makes a way out of no way. And that's so scary. It's the most balanced. It's the scariest thing. But you have to have faith. But it's the most it's the most balanced I've ever had in my life. I How mean, is that? <laughs> right. I mean, it's scary. It's scary because you step out and you're like, God, I don't know. Like, if I take this first step and I just quit my job and I just say, today is yeah. the day. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. How do I provide for my kids? Like, that's always been my biggest fear. And it, it's probably my biggest fear because I have been <coughs> on this before. Like, right. I've been at the bottom before. And so I've always You're just like, fought mm-hmm. not to go back down that way. Like, you know what I always think of is that picture where it says, them. God, you know, where um, the, the girl is hanging on to the little bear and she wants to keep her little bear, but God has a big bear behind him. And it's like, just give me the little bear and I'm, I have something bigger for you. That's what that reminds me of. And it's for me, it's always really scary. That's so scary to me. And I have to pray about that because I'm like, God, just help me release the control of, like, having control. I feel like I have control. But I I, I tell people all the time, I, I really feel trapped in my job. Like, I feel like there's nowhere mm. else for me to go. You I can't stop telling God you want to get up out of there breathe. because that's what happened with me. I He will make a way. I'll tell you what. And I'm not going to tell you I just quit my job and walked away. Let me tell you how cool it was. Let me tell you how cool God works. So the job that I was working on was like, you do so good with our training classes. You've been working for a long time. They was like, we don't know what else to add to your development plan but to get you out in the community. They was like, since you like to teach, we got a college that's opening up down the street and we're going to send some employees there. Um, since you have a master's, why don't you go down there and see if you can teach there? So, you know, it's part of my development plan because I love my job. I'm like, I got paid for my stuff. I'm like, let me go down the street and see what's going on. So I go in there and, of course, I have no experience, but the experience that I had teaching um, the employees at work that would come in on the programs, I would train them. And so I ended up getting a teaching job and I would work two nights a week. When I would get off work, the college was down the street. Girl walked in there, fell in love. The day God told me to walk away from my job, I couldn't even cry for long. You want to know why? Because I had to be down the street at the school to teach a class <laughs> in 15 minutes. <laughs> like, did, it was just like, it was almost like once I released it. So sometimes when we release it, it doesn't mean walk away from your job. It means release the idea that I depend on this. And so once I released the idea, he made a way. Actually, for a while, I thought I didn't have my job no more. I had two checks coming. And so I could, I had got me a reputation with the school. I picked up more classes. Before you knew it, I was just teaching. I was only working two days a week. I went from working 60 hours to working two days a week from 9 to 1. Oh, oh wow. Girl, bye. 
I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I loved what I did. Like, I look forward to making my lesson plans. I look forward. I seen the students, and I could share with them to live their dreams, to use their strengths. If I saw them in something, you know, and they're like, well, I don't know if I should do this. Well, what do you like? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? And I was able to pour into them. It got to the point I was working four days a week. I worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I picked up four classes. And I was making the same amount of money that I made on my job, and I was doing what I wanted to do. And then I branched out and did more things. And I was able to work on my own solo book. And there you go. It's like a... How did you uh, write, get into writing your book? I mean, what made you finally <sighs> decide to write your book? Now, the book that you're looking at, um, that came from me being in my first book. So uh, for those that follow me um, or don't follow me, I'll share with your listeners. Uh, my name is B. Smith. I'm the giver of useful information. I inspire. And the biggest thing about me, I'm a suicide survivor. So working that job and doing what everybody else wanted me to do, I was very unhappy. I fell into a deep, deep depression. And I've always been a logical person, always been a good student, always been, you know, you know, the, the kid that did the right thing. You know, I had some bad brothers, so, you know, I've seen them acting up and I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to do that. And so I was always the kid that followed the path, followed the path, perfect, 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 which is bad put myself in that box where I had to be perfect. And so I did nothing that I wanted to do. Uh, working that one job put me in like one of the deepest depressions ever. And um, I intended to take my life and God spared me. Like there is no reason I should be sitting here looking at you guys today. And there were so many things that my friends and my family had seen before that collapse, um, before that collapsed, but nobody knew about mental illness. Nobody in my family talked about it. If we knew, we didn't talk about it. You know, that uncle that's up in the closet, he'll never come down. But, you know, and, and, and grandma will take the plate upstairs. You know, those kind of things, that's how we dealt with mental illness. And so when it happened to me, I had nobody to turn to. And I finally just got fed up of feeling so alone. And I had talked myself into believing that I was the problem. Like, and the job that I worked, I worked in life. So I knew my family would be taken care of. So basically, I was the manager of the life. Like, like I don't know who's going to sign my check, but <laughs> I basically talked myself into feeling like, okay, you know, if I die, I will take, everybody will be taken care of. My kids can live their life and have a good start. And, you know, I felt like I was the problem. And, girl, God spared my life. And I went through therapy, and um, I was approached by a company, um, by a life coach, to share my story in a book, an anthology. So it was like 20 women in here. And she was like, she's like, you can help so many people. And I was like, I was like, but I don't want everybody to know. I said, you know, I've come so far. You know, I found a new career. I'm teaching now. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my life back together. I'm like, I really don't want to tell people what happened to me. Um, uh, and she was like, I think you should. And so I did. I, I shared my story in there and I, I shared what happened to me and that I was getting my life back together. And they made my story the last one in the back so that, you know, I felt more comfortable that way. You know, yeah. I'm coming out, but I'm not coming <laughs> out. Like, put it in the back. <laughs> and so they put my story in the back of the book. And then one day after the book comes out, I'm excited. You know, we selling books, you know, because you get out, you get caught up. And this ain't my book. I mean, I'm just the story in the book. So I'm like, cool, you know. Yeah. And it felt so good to share my truth and to know that somebody would be helped. Girl, TBN got a hold of the story. Now, out of 20 stories in that book, TBN was like, uh, can you come on? And I said to who? TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network. I'm like, that's national television. 
And so I ended up going on Trinity Broadcasting Network and interviewing and talking about my story of suicide and surviving and, 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 and coming back and, and, you know, not, not even then was I an advocate. That was the, probably the day that I became an advocate because okay. right at the end of the show, the pastor, um, the host, um, he grabs my hand and he asked me to pray for people that are suffering from mental illness and suicidal thoughts and someone that may be hurting. And so on national television, I'm holding hands with this man, this host, and I'm praying for people. Wow. And that just started a catapult, you know, into um, people calling me and saying, can you come speak? Can you come talk to my school? Can you come talk to my kids? Um, and the more I began to talk, I noticed that it started repairing relationships. I had family members that were angry with me because they didn't see me for months and months, and they didn't realize that I was sick. They didn't realize you was just going to be at my funeral. Everybody wondering how she died, you know. You know, they didn't know. And so by me coming out, not only is that helping other people, that repaired my relationships with my family, that repaired relationships with some of my friends. Can you imagine somebody being angry with you for something that you couldn't even help? You just needed help. So what, I mean, like, if I was your friend, what would be, like, the warning sign? Like, what am I supposed to look for as your friend? First of all, I quit coming around. Just quit coming around. If they are not interested, if especially me, because I was life of the party. And so, you know, if that person just stops coming around, you start seeing they're not interested in the things they used to do, you know, you might want to check on them. Um, you know, check on them. You know, are you okay? What What's going on? And I think sometimes as women, we get mad. We're like, oh, she funny, Donnie? Okay. Because I did have a good job on the outside, especially when I was working for the major company. You know, I had m- money was not. Money wasn't even one of my problems. And I learned a lesson then. Money doesn't solve everything. Because I true. had all the money that I could need or want. I had more. I was wasting it. I got like an uh, attic full of shoes to prove it. Um, I had money, but I still wasn't happy. And, and I learned a lesson from that. It's not money. It's not things. It's not getting to this. It's all about living your dreams and doing what you're destined to do. It's not just a dream. It is just, it's actually your destiny. Those things that he gives us to do when we, we're little kids, that's our destiny. That's what's written in our DNA. It was for me to write books. It was for me to travel the world. I was dreaming about places I had never been. And people think like depression is not real, and only because they say that because you open up the doors of depression. Exactly, and I've been outgoing like for the mm, for a little while. I never really thought like I could go through like depression. I'm like, oh, I'm strong, right? I I'm never, strong. you know, I got this, you know. And I, it was like day by day, it was something like you know, I sit at home and I, yeah, that first night, you know, you cry, you be like, oh, you know, he so is is you know not there, and then. You go on a couple weeks later, it might be two days, three days a week. You like, oh, you start crying, you know. And then it got real, you know, when I started, you know, you sitting there laying in bed and your mind is racing and wow. you really not, you know what I'm saying? You really just not knowing, like, I can't be depressed, you know, because mm. any other time I got this, you know. So it was just like, most people don't think depression is real, oh, but... And you think even friends, you know, friends may not notice, you know, because, you know, my friends probably, I probably didn't talk to all of them, you know, about going through depression, but went through it like hard, hard until the fact it was like one day I just had to tell my mom, like, you know, I ain't got this no more. Good for you. You know, so I was like, she was like, yeah, you know, I could tell you've been holding it in, but most people, you know, it just is hard mom. to. Mom yeah. saw the difference. She yeah. might not have knew what it was, but she saw it. Exactly. 
So it was just kind of hard kind of facing the fact that you can be strong on this end, but then you'd be like, oh, I felt kind of weak. Right. You know, when you look at it, you're like, oh. but I went through like a major depression at some major point. Depression. Did yeah. you ever want to take your life to the no. point yeah, where... It, it didn't get to a point where I wanted to commit suicide. I just get to the point where I just felt like I just couldn't do it. Do you think it was because you had a support system? Mm-hmm. No, it, I don't think it had anything to do with my support system. I think it has everything to do that I had kids. You know, I, I knew that who else could they go to? You know, they they didn't have, you know, my husband locked up. Javion's daddy ain't there. So who else could they, you know, I didn't want my family to have to take on my burden. So I had to figure it out some kind of way. Wow. I'm say I've been depressed. I've been in spaces of depression. When I um the first time I I probably had some post, I had a lot of postpartum with legend. Man. I wasn't very attached to my second child. Me neither. I'm very attached to him now. Yeah. And it brings me to tears to think that way because <sighs> I felt some kind of way when I had him. Right. Like I, I just didn't I didn't feel myself and understand. God placed my mom in my in my life at the time because <clears throat> I woke up in the middle of the night one night and just took him to her and was like, Take him mama because I can't do this anymore. Like mm. I've never said that out loud. My best friend's standing right here and I've never even told her, but I contemplate and just because like taking my life and just leaving. Like I can't do this anymore. Right. Like and I got into that point and you know, I, I kind of got over that place. I always say it like, you know, people always just assume that you just can keep going. Man. Like, you that's can just the lie. keep pushing. You know how they say, where's the lie? There's the lie. Right. You just keep pushing and it's fine. And, you know, you're strong. And especially when they see a stronger out in um, exterior. Right. They think that your interior is just fine and there's nothing interior wrong. Broken. And, and you're just so broken. And that was the first time I ever like just was like, I can't do this anymore. And in the middle of the night, I just woke up and just walked him in there. In my hands and said, Mama, take him or I'm going to hurt him. Like, I don't know what else to do. That was strength for you to do that. Both of y'all right. had strength. That was strength. Like, I don't know what else I'm going to do with him. Like, he's crying, crying, crying. And he's been my more challenging child. That's what Mika says, yeah. you know, all the time. You know, Capri, how do you do it? It's just been God. connecting. You and him are reconnecting. Yeah, that's my baby. Like, and I that's love him. That's what I'm going with my son. Probably just deeper than I, I have ever loved my daughter. And I hate to say that out loud, but I learned that there's a, a difference in... It's a difference in love. Yeah, it's a difference in love when you're ki- with your kids. And um, I people. have to learn to love him in a deeper way because he was so challenging for me. And I did. You know, he was probably about... He wasn't, I wasn't even, he was maybe about two, three weeks old. And I just walked him in there and was just like, mama, you got to take him. I can't. And she just took him. Oh, man. I mean, and it was God because God placed him, placed her in my home at that time. And she stayed with me and she worked with me and she helped me get through that. And the second time I had an issue was I completely flipped out at work. Just completely flipped out on my coworkers one time. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Don't give me nothing else. Don't pile nothing else on me. Mm-hmm. I don't care what else y'all say. I'm in the middle of the work floor, and I'm a lead worker, so of course, you know. And I'm just like, I don't care. I will walk out today, but don't give me nothing else. Because you needed to stand up to and me I was long just, before. Yes. And um, mm. got diagnosed with uh, depression and anxiety, and they was okay. like, you're going to take medication. And I was just like, you know, I've asked my mom a couple of times, like, how do I... 
how I don't want to be on medication. Like, how do I manage this? Right. Like, to the point where I don't have to be on medication. I don't want to be dependent on medication to, to manage my mood. Yeah. And she was like, well, try the medication for a little bit okay. because it'll help stabilize you. And then she said, when you work out, it, wor- it you are a more pleasant person. Girl. So everybody always looks at me and they're like, why do you work out so much? <laughs> so you don't I fight to get to the gym. Y'all don't <laughs> understand. Like, face. it's not even yeah. about a gym body anymore. It's no, about my sanity. Exactly. That's, that's my peaceful place. I tell people that all the time. Somebody was like, you don't, you know, sometimes I might be going slow on a machine. Just, I mean, just, I'm just there, but I'm enjoying it. It's like, it's my me time. It's my peace. It's. You know, it's it's a stress reliever for me. Okay. And I love it. If I look up one of these armpits, you're going to quit talking to me. I got my time. <laughs> Leave me alone. Uh, but, I feel you. Yeah, I had to learn. Like I, And so they always mm-hmm. tease me because they're like, you're running for, you know, this or that or the other. No, but I'm running for my my mental health. There are days, there are weeks running for your when life. I'm like, yeah, when I get there and I'm like, I have to get to the gym. I don't care. If it's for 30 minutes, sometimes I'm only there for the 20-minute run that it I've helps. done. But because it it helps me release, I have to do it. That's what the medicine does. It goes in and regulates. So why not use something natural? I feel you. You was running for your life, and you found a natural way for you to deal with yourself. And scientifically, um, it helps your blood pressure. Um, you know, going back to my diagnosis of major depressive disorder, a lot of different chemical things that happen. So just like when I had my second son was not connected. My husband was basically Mr. Mom. Um, God made a way where we worked different shifts where he could, because that poor, my poor son, um, I just wasn't connected to him. And I remember going to the doctor crying, like, I love my child, but I just, like, it would get to the point where he wouldn't even... I think when you're agitated, babies can kind of tell. And so he just gravitated um, to his dad. And, and and I think that made me feel more rejected. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're like, how can you attempt suicide? Well, I felt rejected. Like, I'm feeling rejected by my husband, which was just all totally mental health, you know. And I'm feeling rejected by my baby. My own baby don't want to fool with me. And then I have a child with special needs. So he was a little bit detached because that's just... You know, he was just happy. He was in a bubble. You know? <laughs> like, do you have food? You have somewhere for me to sleep. <laughs> and 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 so um, that just like Shamika said, it went from one day. I got, I feel like I'm a part of all of y'all because it went from one day, then it went to two days. We had gotten to the point where my family basically knew when Mama gets off work, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna cook dinner. I had enough gas to cook dinner. Pillar of strength at work because I'm running the whole department, right? I got that. I mean, I was almost perfect. I think I freaked people out because it's like when you're depressed, you're you're high functioning. And I would get home, I would cook dinner, and they knew I was going in the room and to cut the light off. To this day, my family still, my husband sometimes will leave the room and cut the light off. But I had my family programmed. We were keeping that secret to let me be in the dark. And I would be in the dark until it was time to get up and go back to work. And I would put on my work face. And I would go out, and I would work my behind off, did an honest good day's work, and I would come home, i cook my family dinner, and I'd go to bed. So did your husband ever catch any of the signs? He did, but I don't think we knew what to do. Um, And it even got to the point where we went to counseling, and we went to the church, and we sat down with them, and that's when they told us, they kind of made us feel like, 
you know, my prayer life wasn't right. Was what what was I not doing? And then like when I went to mm. church, people would like go to the other. And I'm not trying to put nobody out there no, bad. This is what yes. really happened to me. People start going like I would. Come, I came into church that next Sunday, and you feel good after you talk to somebody, yes. right? You're like, okay, well we got it out. And then people start treating me different. I'm like, oh, see, I shouldn't have told nobody. Exactly. Right. And I'm like, and then that's when I drew into myself. And that's Treat when. Treat me different, hell. Like, I came into church, and they would go to the other end of the church. Like, just, you know how people see you don't want food with you? Yeah. You know how you know that person you don't want real food with? So you just kind of slide to the other side. <laughs> and so they kind of did that. And in a depressed person, like in a regular person, you like, well, buy them, boo. Exactly. You know, nobody care. You know, right. you go see with your yeah. own girl. But to a depressed person, that's magnified. Like, because they already feeling like they not enough. They already feeling like don't nobody like them, and they're not worthy. So when you do that, it's like times 10. Yeah. It's mag. Everything's magnified. I ain't gonna, it's not that they been that's where extra shit came from when in a depressed mind everything is magnified and you just feed that fear and that anxiety and so when I saw that needless to say it was only one or two people but it was people that I really looked up to and I really felt safe when I talked to them and so for them to treat me different now I know that they probably just didn't know what to do or what to say and so that's why I don't think they avoided me. I think stigma sometimes is rooted in ignorance. They just didn't know what to say or how to deal with it. And so they just avoided it. I'm not saying that's an excuse. So how should somebody deal with somebody that's going through depression? I, I believe if your parishioners come to you and you don't know how to deal with it, then you need to find a counselor or counseling agency or something, a Christian counselor, to refer your parishioners to. Don't just leave them. Leave them at the altar, but leave them with some resources, okay? So after you put the blessed oil on them and get them up, okay, this is the person I want you to contact. It's a lot of times, they, you know, you try to keep stuff in your church. It's the same sickness that we have in our house. What happens in this house stays in this house. We have got to, God has people, there are people out there that are licensed professionals that can help. Do y'all understand I was a storybook depression person and had somebody with clinical knowledge talk to me just once? They would have been like, oh, okay, well, she's she just needs to get some blood work. She needs to get this. Duh, but nobody knew. And so that's why my passion is to go into those places. I love little churches. I will go in there and talk to them because I see myself you know, as a girl, I love talking to youth groups because I, I believe I was depressed when I was a child. I believe it was always there. Those those rooted feelings, all they do is grow and grow and grow. And if you don't deal with them, I believe that when I got in my 30s and life really hit me and re reality really hit me, I think it just hit me so hard. I couldn't take it no more. I was actually, I couldn't take it no more, but I didn't have nobody to talk to. I didn't have a mom that was like, so your mom really was your hero. Because if you have that one person that says, okay, I did notice. Like, people in my life was like, nobody noticed. And I think that's why we got to care about the people that's in our life. And when you see something that ain't right, we get so, well, I don't know why we get so angry. We get so angry. Like, quit getting mad all the time. Go figure <laughs> out what's going on. We, the first thing that people want to do is, it, anger seems to be the easiest emotion. And love is the most covering emotion. So I wonder why we don't love first. I think exactly. it's because um, we take things so personal. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess so. As a culture, we take it personal. Okay. Oh, you don't want to talk to me. So, it must be something that's going on or something that's wrong. And it was I must have done. So, we don't ever stop and say, so, why? And even when you stop and say, why aren't you talking to me or why? Then a lot of us sometimes get avoided. It's supposed to be. It's on us to be honest. Mm -hmm. And, and we don't. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. I tried to play yeah. like I was still normal, but... 
But when it got bad, you know, like I said, for me, I'm the one that it got so bad, I was in the hospital. I didn't get, I didn't come out to my mom. You know, my mom had dementia, so my mom could barely remember who I was, you know. So my mom was going through her own health issues, you know. And so, and me taking care of her, so the burden and helping my dad with her, and then my dad got sick. So, you know, it's like, oh my God, this is a lot. And, you know, dealing with my son, dealing with my marriage, dealing with life, having a high-functioning job. This is real life. And when you're not equipped for real life, when you're equipped, it's hard. But what if, when you're not <laughs> equipped, um, what do you do? Exactly. Yeah. And I think it does go all back to being a kid. Because I think as a kid, um, like my mom used to be in the streets probably. She's like almost, what, about nine years clean now. Okay. But... Then I think as a kid, just taking on everything that I had to take on as a child. I was an adult at a young age. So it was like, you know, hmm, you know, I don't get to be this kid that I wanted to be. And I was cooking and cleaning. So I think it goes back. After I got into canceling, I realized that it kind of went back to childhood. And what they called me is like, I'm in the enabler, as they would say. (laughs) You know, yeah. I was an enabler and I was the one that, you know, I just kind of, you know, suppressed everything, you know, because I always felt like I had to be the one that I had to be it. had just to be the one that everybody depended on yep. and not said anything. So I think it goes, I do, I do think that it goes, depression kind of goes back, you know, from childhood into, you know, and you just kind of carry it on because you never, again, black people, we always say, we'll stay in this house, you know, what goes on in this house. Happens in this house, stays in this house. Yeah. And we keep it tight too. And we had to um, think about in times of slavery and in times of uh, uh, racism heavily, the 20s, 30s, 40s, it it really had to be a way of life. We really did have to keep things in our house. And so it's embedded in us. And so now it's about changing because that's the biggest thing with depression. When my grandmother found out she almost lost me, she was like, the best thing my grandmother's ever said, the best piece of advice she ever gave me. My grandmother's 84 years old. And when she was 81, she said, baby, I guess I'm just going to have to change my way of thinking. She said, because we just don't talk about these kind of things. She said, but if I'm going to lose my baby, she said, now they tell me everything. I know every, I know who got gout. I know everything now. It's like, okay, I probably didn't even know that. But you're right. They don't talk about it. And they always want to tell you, go pray about it. Exactly. But you, you kind of need a little bit more than that. I, I need a little bit God, more than prayer. God yes. put counselors and therapists on this earth for a reason. And, and I got I think, to a point where I felt like, not saying that prayer doesn't work. No, it works. Some, no, it, no, I'm, no, I'm saying it does work. But I'm saying at that yeah, point honesty. of depression, I'm saying not saying that, you know, prayer does work. But at that point when I was in depression, I felt like I, I've been praying. Like, I, I don't have nothing else to pray. I, I don't know what else to give. Right. Going to church, I was more. like, yeah, I just didn't know what else to give. I'm like, you know, how, how much more can I pray? You know, I'm praying, I'm praying. You've done I'm everything you it. could do. Yes. You needed some intervention. Exactly. I get it. I mean, I experienced, I mean, postpartum with Dominique. I don't yeah. know if I had it with all my kids. Probably so, but definitely. That one kid to do it to you, though. Well, with my first one, because I had her at 18. And oh, wow. it was just, you know, I just, I'm like, what is this? Like, she crying, you know. And, and luckily, oh, I had my mom or whatever, and so she helped me out a lot. But then the second time that I know that I went through depression is, is um, I got divorced and I, my mom, I was losing my mom in the same year, in 2014. So Grief that was is a, a big one. Yeah, so that was a hard year, like trying to help her. And I knew that she was dying. I'm going through this divorce at the same no. time. So it was kind of like my you entire had two life. two deaths. Pretty much, yes. 
And so it was like my whole world was changing and I didn't really know how to deal with that. And so for me, I did go to counseling and I did, you know, a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of prayer. Um, kind of talk to people, but you know Good job. So I mean, so I do know that you do need a little bit yeah. more than prayer. There's people out there that you, you support. Need to talk to. Definitely support. Grief is a big one. So we talked about huge. some big ones. Having babies changes our bodies. Um, it so was my sleep. I didn't even care about the body. Postpartum. Oh, no, it changed. But you need sleep, it chemically, too. <laughs> it chemically changed something in me. Like, I just... I, Your hormones, girl. Yeah, I just... I wasn't getting it sleep, was but weird. I love sleep. And that's why... I, <laughs> I know, it sounds yeah. bad, but no, I, it doesn't. I love sleep just no that much. Zone. To where I'm like, oh my God, I just want to go to sleep. She took the one thing... That baby took the one thing from you. Yeah. Was that a she? She. See, I don't know. So she <laughs> yeah. took the one thing from you that you prized most. And so you were like, you were like, oh, no. Love, what was I fussing about? You took my body day. The bed. Because I, I needed sleep. But you know, in depression, when I did go to cancel, and that's one that's of the so questions crazy. they asked on a day-to-day basis, like how much sleep did you get? Because sleep is a part of, you know, how much sleep you get is kind of determining your depression. So every day when I was going to this counselor, it was basically like you had to list like every day, like, how many oh, hours wow. of sleep did you get? Yeah. Um, I didn't... I used to... I, I probably got too much sleep. Okay, that's another symptom. That's another symptom. Yeah. So, for me, like, I was like you. Yeah. I was the come in the house, get the kids together enough to go in a room and Bye, cut the lights off and just be in my room all day. And wow. For the rest of the night. And I did that for so long. It becomes um, your life. Yeah, and I've done that. And and thinking back, when you guys say childhood, I've done that since I was a teenager. It would be spaces in my life where I would just cut off the world, and it was just you know you nobody ever some kind of trauma. Yeah, you were dealing with some and nobody ever kind of asked trauma. like, well, what's wrong or is anything wrong? I just would go in my room, pitch black. I would cut off my lights, close my door, and I would do that every day. Protecting and, um, yourself. And I would get to a point where I would be like, okay, I can come out now. You know, um, I like I said, I've learned the signs now. I, you know, I tell Dante a lot, like, you know, I'm feeling a friend, like I'm going into this space or, you know, so I'll, you know, I'll check out for a day or two. I try not to take check out for a whole week, you know, and I try not to go to do the thing of like burying myself. You give yourself time. As I give myself time to kind of process where I'm at and what I'm going through. Um, And I try to reach out to people that I that know me. Got to say, crew. Yeah, to say, hey, this is where I'm at. But I, I'm like Mika. Like I, I had gotten to a point in um probably in like the last year or so where like I was just like I can't just keep, I I know I'm praying. Right. Like God, I, I know you hear me. I, I know I'm praying. Ooh, I, I'm praying hard. And I know exactly. Right, right. Like, 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 but like what Lord, else? Like, you. you know, like, God, there's got to be something else. Like, I feel like I'm praying, but clearly I'm not doing something else. Like, there's something. Yeah, we keep I, like, blaming ourselves. Yeah, like, what am I not doing? Like, what am I not yeah. doing here? Am I like, not praying right? Am I not right? seeing the right prayer? <laughs> hey, well, like, the old yeah. ladies told me that. You ain't <laughs> praying right. Well, no, they will right. say that. And the old ladies tell me you must not be praying right. And I got to a point where I was so ashamed, like, in church wise. Like I wouldn't go down and ask for prayer because you know you did become yeah. the person that's you know always you know, that's that's the always at the altar. She was she down here for now. So, so like I just I, like I stopped doing that after my twenties because I was like I don't want to be for altar call. You know, right? Like I don't never want I don't want to be the lady that you know. I don't right. I don't want to be the one that's always down at the front of the church, but. I do feel like when you start saying like I I need help or I need something they're like well just pray or you just your prayer life ain't right yeah or, you know I just you think just they don't know ain't what to do. connected enough or you know come and be like at the time I was a Sunday school teacher 
And I didn't want to do that anymore. And then I would go and tell them, like, I don't, I just, I'm not okay. I don't feel like I'm giving into these kids. the key word. I'm not okay. I'm not giving it to these kids where I don't have this passion. Like, I started off and I was running. I was studying all week. And then I got to the point where I was like, I just, I'm not giving enough to these kids. Like, y'all keep having me come every Sunday and I'm, I don't even care to study. You didn't feel no passion for it. I don't, yeah, yeah. I get you here. You interest in what you normally, normally love, love to do. do. Yes. Which is the first basic symptom. Yeah. And I was so like, what, I just don't want to do this anymore. So what are some other symptoms? Because like right now I feel like there's a lot of teens that are attempting suicide or committing suicide. And as a parent, like what is something that we should look for? Because I mean, I can say the kid being locked up in a room, but like my daughter, for example, she's always up in her room and always on her phone. Which is her a teen thing kind of right. And so I don't, so that's not and that's it's normal more, to me. It's becoming more for, common now for kids to commit suicide. Exactly. Even at younger ages. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I'm glad y'all touched on this uh, because I want to talk about that. Uh, the rise in teens comes from, uh, you remember when we were little, our bully used to beat us up, right? You took a beat down, you went, you know, you got laughed at, you went home, your mama probably beat you down too because you got, you didn't look exactly. cute in the end. But what I notice with teens is your bullies never leave you. And then when your bully get done with you, everything's online and you have a new bully that pick up. Oh well, they done with you, but I ain't. And and they pick it up. So you and think so these, it's social media. It's some of it is social media. They don't get a break, and and then they do the same thing that adults do. They kind of internalize it and they start saying, "Well, you know, your young mind, you're very impressionable, and so any insecurities that you have about yourself, if somebody says that to you, uh, let's just be real. The chubby kid probably is a little chubby." Right? So they always say stereotypes and things come from a real place. And so you look at yourself and maybe you don't look like your friend. Or maybe your friend is just real thin. And you look at her and then you compare yourself and you're like, well, okay, well, what is wrong with me? You know, for me, when I was a child, it was they called me Tar Baby and called me black and said, you know, you so dark. Anybody want to watch you on TV? You so black. You know, I can't even see you unless you smile at night. You know, just different stuff like that and those kind of things they you keep them in your brain and so teens they have a um they have in you got these instagram models with these enhanced bodies that i don't even know how you gonna get them unless you go to the doctor and they want to be <laughs> these yeah. unrealistic expectations of beauty this unrealistic expectation of what a man or a boy should be and so they've got these people that they look up to and they're trying to be something that's almost not real and so they have that and then there's societal pressures it's just a lot more pressure on teens these days they're doing a lot of things a lot earlier than we did so you see suicide in you know 20s 30s 40s but for oklahoma it is the second leading cause of death oh, for wow. people 15 to 34 wow. and and so i spent a lot of my time researching and advocating because i i want to get to the root cause um one of the biggest things i see in the younger ages from 10 to 14 is a lot of bullying if your child is withdrawing more than usual because a teen need their time they don't want food with us all the time so it, a little bit of me time is normal they want to be on social media but if you see them on there too much you see them withdrawing um and we can build our kids up i don't think we're spending we're so much we're so broken 
Some of us are so broken, we still getting built up. How are we building up our kids if we broke? And so I have to make sure I take time to build up my sons and, and tell them who they are and tell my niece, you're beautiful just the way you are. As a matter of fact, she got a mirror in her room, my eyes, my lips, my hair. So when you go out in the world, because everybody's going to tell you what you're not, you know, on a consistent basis. And so we as parents and communities have to consistently keep building these kids up because this world, social media just allows more people access to us. It's not just a neighborhood a bully anymore it's not just the one girl that didn't like you it's not remember the whole busters y'all might be too young for them what are they called they was called the whole busters <laughs> if you had long hair you was light skin you was pretty the whole busters was coming for you because they was gonna take that pretty face off your face and so you we just i just think about so many things in society that comes against and you thought it was just unattractive people that got attacked what about attractive people get attacked um and so we just have a society that's just um, I, I just say we just don't love each other and we don't look out for each other and build these kids up. I, I don't understand how kids have low self-esteem at 12, but they do. You know, I'm in a classroom with children on a daily basis and they're already picking themselves apart. And so if it's for suicide with that, um, I see a lot of bullying is a big is a big thing so we as adults can help when our child tells somebody messing with them we need to be an advocate if our child is messing with somebody we need to be an advocate we need to be an advocate on both sides of the fence and explain to our children what their behavior is doing uh, because and be advocates and don't step back and when administrators step back as parents we need to come in even further and be our child's champion uh, kids need they need a hero you know uh if you ever got time watch the ted talk by rita pearson um it says every child needs a hero and everybody needs somebody that's gonna stand up for for us you know maybe it's not our parents maybe your parent is out in the street maybe your parent is working two and three jobs and you never see them and so i think we live in a society where kids not that parents don't want to be good parents but if your parent is constantly working to put food in your mouth and, and and put a roof over your head you're not getting that that love and that balance and that reassurance of who you are and so That's when true. you go outside and somebody tell you what you're not what are you going what what message are you going to accept and so these kids are accepting a lot of messages what did you say about bullying remember you had the issue of bullying and you said you had to go through different steps yes so my daughter actually okay. got in trouble for bullying and the little girl said that she was going to go commit suicide Oh, no. Yes. Okay. So, you know, we, you know, we had a talk and then we had to go in with administration to have okay. a talk. And basically now it's the point where, you know, you have a talk with administration, but you go through steps where they have to take you to the next step where you have to take them to get canceling. But it's certain steps now that through the schools, administration now, since bullying is such a big thing that you have to kind of go through certain steps, you know, in the school system now to try to see where it's coming from basically because right. yeah. a child may not know they're bullying people been playing the dozen since we were little exactly and, and we have to make was. and we yeah. have to make them aware but then you could be bullying someone that's going through trauma at home exactly. so it's not just the bullying I, I like to be uh full spectrum with it it's not just the bullying but you could be bullying a child that already has trauma at home home exactly or trauma elsewhere and so for me i had trauma at home so when other people came against me it just built onto that trauma and sent me where i wanted to go so it's not it's not a one-sided kind of thing it's a factor yes. i consider it a factor so you said suicide in oklahoma is between 15 and 34 how old were you um i was 37 oh, okay when you tried to commit mm -hmm. so i will fall into the fourth that's like the fourth leading cause. It's still up there. Okay. Is it? Oh, wow. Oh, honey, yes. Oklahoma, it, we're in the top ten. 
and we've gotten better. So every 12 hours in the state of Oklahoma, someone dies by suicide. Oh, wow. So today we will have lost two Oklahomans by their own hands. Oh, wow. Wow. I did not know that. I didn't either. It My used to be 11 hours, but we improved the hour. Okay. So it was like kind of two in a almost another person, but now it's two people. So we, um, through advocacy, we have been getting better. And in the African-American community, please don't think that it's not us because we are some of the highest numbers. Our African-American males, you know, I, I love prison reform and I, I love the activists that are activists for prison reform and different things like that. But for me, my mission, um, I'm reforming for our black men that are dying by suicide. So I know that between the ages of 15 and 34. So this is somebody's young father, somebody's exactly. son. Right. Um, and then when you get into the 35 to 54, it's black women. So a lot of professional women um, that have positions um, and have children or wives, um, we're losing them. And that's right here in this state. Now, it's, it's a national problem. But right here in this state, it's, it's numbers are quite astounding. Um, I do have another question. So, you um, suicide is preventable. Yes. It's definitely preventable. But what do you feel like, what would have helped you before you done it? Man, I mean, you know, and it seems so simple. To do it, I should say. I, I, I just feel like mm-hmm. if someone would have knew the signs and directed us in the right direction, if I would have just had one person tell me, you know what, I understand what you're feeling. And then explain to me what's going on with me so that I could know how to help myself. But nobody that I encountered in my circle, in my family, in my community, they didn't know what to do with me. And I did all I knew to do. Um, in our culture, we go to the church. We go to our family. We go to grandma. We go um, to where we know to get help. And that's why I like to get into these places and say, yes, grandma, I love you. But grandma don't have all the answers. But if grandma could send you here they can help you. If I would have just had one person say they understood what I was feeling, because I'm thinking I'm going bonkers. I'm like, why do I want but to die every day? Um, and and I opened up to a couple of people, and when I did, I was shamed because they made okay. me feel like it was something wrong with me. And okay. so then I just internalized it, and I just shut down. But when you opened up, if they would have told you where to go, I gave you some resources. I would have went, because I wanted to know why I wanted to die every day. Like, why am I going to the refrigerator to get a glass of juice? And it's like, kill yourself. And I have to be that blunt about it because that is how that people think when people commit suicide or die by, I want to say die by suicide, I have to say it properly, um, that they're being selfish. They want that voice to go away. They want that pain to go away. You are constantly being tormented day and night with these thoughts and, and you just want them to stop. And then, and, and you're probably not being yourself at work. You know, I think I begin to unravel more and more towards the end. Um, and, and people see you and they judge you instead of going and getting you some help. If I was an alcoholic and I came in reeking of Hennessy, you would send me to AA. But if I come into work, I come in smelling like I've been in the tweeds and I'm moving a little slow that day, you're going to send me to rehab. But if I come in and I'm not myself and I'm not functioning properly, you're not going to try to get me no help for my brain because obviously something in my mind is not right. And there's something not right. And I, I want to get it to the point where we get help for people that are addicted to drugs, for people that are have alcoholism issues. Because I feel like with mental illness, we're the same way. We're not available. If you're on drugs, you're not available to your family. If you're alcohol, if you're suffering from alcoholism, you're not available to your family. Mental illness, you're not available. You, 
you're not there. I'm still reconnecting with my kids. So how did they, I mean, when you came out to your kids about... Oh, that was hard. So how did, how, how were you able to actually even bring that to them? So I was in the facility for a while, and I think the hardest discussion, uh, my younger son was so young um, that he doesn't really realize it, but he finally asked me last year. Oh, he wow. went to an event with me, and on the way home, he finally asked. But the most difficult conversation was with my oldest, who was very well aware of everything. And his question to me was, if you love me, then why would you leave me? And that one, I think, um, was the hardest discussion. And that's when I began to not only share with other people, my whole family, we all go through suicide training and depression. And so they very well understand mental illness. They understand that mommy was sick. It had nothing to do with me not loving them or not caring for them. Um, it had to do with me being sick. But I think that was the biggest conversation, the most difficult conversation Um that was hard because my son had been walking around feeling like that for a while. And so, you know, I'm getting help for myself, but my son's like, my mom must not love me because she's trying to take her life. She didn't want to be with me. It was me. And, you know, he was thinking he was something. He did bad, you know. Exactly. Oh. So did you have to get him counseling? Yeah, we all had counseling, family okay, counseling. Everybody. Okay, everybody. And even my youngest went to counseling like this last summer, had to go back. He was, like, really angry. And he finally just asked me. He's like, so... He said, what? And, you know, he was looking at some t statistics, and he was like, Mom, people over 65 commit suicide? And I was like, yeah. He's like, so, like, that's like grandma. He's like, and I had to explain to him what mental illness is and, and when you're not okay. And so I talked to my kids, when you're, when you're not okay, come talk to us. You know, let us know. You know, so we are very open in my house. I had to be very open about my diagnosis my my kids know that I suffer from major depressive disorder. They know what my diagnosis is. Um, they know when I'm not. If I'm not okay, they know to ask me, "Mom, are you okay?" Okay. So and I'm thinking because I'm had to be real honest. It had to get it had to get real open in my house. If I'm sleeping too much, um, if I'm in my room too much, and sometimes I kind of get irritated with them. But I have to understand. Okay, am I exhibiting that behavior? Um, and now they know. So. And I'm thinking about taking, like, my daughter to canceling because I'm thinking she's going through just some issues within herself since my husband has recently been incarcerated. Okay. So he's been there about two years, but it seems like everything from two years ago till now is, like, a 360 for her. You know, so I don't know, like, how open she would be, you know, to talking. <coughs> but, you know, I want to try it and see, so I need to find her a counselor. But she's just basically, it just seems like, you know, her acting out, the whole bullying thing, you know, her getting, in, yeah, her getting in trouble at school. So it's like her whole, maybe her, her whole life has felt like has it's changed. That's trauma. Yeah. So we, we, we try to put trauma and make trauma feel like it has to be something crazy. But, you know, like you, you talk about your mom and your husband, you're getting divorced. That's two deaths. That's the death of a dream, a death of a relationship. That's a death because that's a death of it a, it was. by Felicia. So you got two deaths. Um, so that's trauma. For your daughter, you've got the situation, and we know how we are about our daddies. Exactly. Uh, I, my, my paternal father wasn't there for me, but my stepfather, oh, my God, something happened to him. I'm like, so you got to understand the dynamics in the home have changed. That's trauma. And so I, what I experience with teens is if they trust you, they will talk to you. So if you put her in counseling like Calm Waters okay. for your situation, um, we have things like Calm Waters. They will take her in. 
just with that situation that you have and let them talk to her let her get in the space and not only that she'll be in a space with other children that have went through there because that's just acting out she's she's just angry and she doesn't know how to express it she may not know how to even say what's going on with her but if she's with someone that's experienced with dealing with that okay. um and, and i think as parents we have to say um like me when my son asked me that question in the car oh i had to get on the phone with a counselor like how do I deal with this? And, you know, I believe that changed the trajectory of my son's life. He is doing so well. But had I not took the time and said, okay, this I can't handle this by myself. I got to give this to somebody else. That's a professional. Counseling was the best thing that ever. I don't know what they talk about unless he wants to share it with me. Um, I just feel like he needed a safe place. He needed to hear from me that I loved him and I care for him. But I think he needed to hear from someone else. Yeah, your mommy was sick. And, and, and no, it wasn't you. And no, you know, because Cody, I'm gonna tell him it wasn't him. Exactly. And so I think he needed to hear from someone else. So counseling. And sometimes I, that works good. when you hear from somebody that, mm-hmm. that's not biased, that don't even know yeah. you or the situation. Like and they can't judge exactly. you. They don't yeah, know they you. Can't judge you. And she's yeah, so and she's that helps. bubbly type. So you know, she's always and you know never. It seems like you look at her and ask her, you know, nothing's ever wrong. Got your little actress. Yeah. <laughs> Totally, you know, that's the one that says, I'm going to be on Broadway, you know, that's how going. So I'm just like, right. yeah, but my son, on the other hand, I think he needs canceling too, because he's the one, he's me. Me totally, you know, okay. I don't need the help. I got this, you know, his dad is like, not in his life like he should be. And I keep thinking that he needs to go to canceling. I was telling, like, I think I told Dante, like, uh, probably week the, the week before we left, where he said three times in one week, like, I think my daddy think I was a mistake. And I, I just don't, <sighs> you know... It was kind of like weird because he said it like three times in one week, you know, and I'm like, why would you say that? He doesn't, you know, he's like, yes, he does, you know, because he doesn't, he's not involved, you know, and I'm like, boy, you don't think you know mistake, but just him saying it, you know, to me, just me and him, and then him saying it to like my mom, and then he said it to my sisters and him, I'm just like, mm. He's thinking he's a mistake. Yeah. He's thinking there's something wrong with me and because why is he not there for me? Um, I share this conversation with my little brother all the time. I say, well, daddy took care of you, but he didn't take care of me. And I always felt like, you know, my father, you know, then he ended up dying when I was a freshman in college. And so I never got that. And so I really had a lot of resentment towards my little brother because I'm like, well, what was so different from me and him? And the other three kids you took care of, but you didn't take care of me. And, and so your son may be dealing yeah. with some feelings of worthlessness. And it's amazing how we're kids, but we put the exactly. actions of other people. Kids take on a lot. You took mm-hmm. on a lot. Yeah. And I exactly. still have daddy issues to this day. Yeah. So, it. I mean, it is good. And I haven't, I've never gotten canceling for it, but it is good to get canceling. To I get think. canceling for it. I think yeah. he definitely needs to talk to Because I think, I, I tell him all the time, I'm like, you know, you should just talk to him. Like, sit down and talk to your dad. You know, and he always says, well, he does for, he has an older sister. See, he's he does too. for her, but, you know, as soon as I call him to do something, he don't answer my phone calls. I text him, he don't return my text. And I'm like, well, talk to him. You know, your dad, you know, is an easy person to talk to now. How he how he takes it in and how he responds maturely, I don't know if it would, like, benefit him to actually talk to him. That's the only part that I worry about. Maybe I haven't talked to a counselor. Maybe that she can, hell, he or she can guide him. Exactly. I just think he need to talk to somebody because he don't, he just need to get it out. He got some feelings. Yeah, he does. And the harder part is when people are like, talk to him, talk to him, talk to him, and then you talk to them and, and they don't receive rejected. it. Ooh. So, that's the part that, because yeah. That, that, because my dad never, how, my dad was in the streets just with my mom also, but my dad, when we, we actually waited until we were about, so I was probably, 
I was probably in my 20s, but my sister and brother, were they were like teenagers, you know. And mm-hmm. we actually sat down, my mom and dad, you know, it was a whole intervention thing. Oh, you wow. know, yeah, we like, you know, this is what we felt. We felt like y'all was never there. We felt like y'all could have okay. did a lot of things better. Y'all could have did this. And my mom is more receptive of it. And she's like, you know, I'm sorry. Okay. You know, she basically, she, she raised out her things and she lays out her faults in it. My dad, not so much. He's like, okay. He's not there yet. And that could be a man yeah. thing because I kind of feel the same way. I feel like my dad only really cared for, took care of the two kids that where he was married to their mom. Okay. And then he had other kids just kind of randomly or whatever, and I'm one of the random kids or whatever. Look. And yeah. <laughs> so, one of, <laughs> so one of the other random kids had basically told him how he felt, you know, a, a few years ago. You oh, know, wow. I felt like he wasn't here and this, this, and that. Well, my dad's response, he, he told me, my dad told me that he ended up, you know, the that my brother ended up talking to him and he and his response was well that you need to deal with that like i don't know and that's you, basically how i don't my know dad i don't back, know what you're telling me you know, that for right. you need to deal with that that's not my problem and to me and i'm sitting here thinking the same thing and i and i'm trying to find the right time to talk to him and tell him what's on my mind but if that's your response to him why wh- even do it why even bother yeah but right. it's like one of those things like do i do it before he dies or do i just deal with it like he basically tell me to I mean you know like he like said he told your kid, brother. yeah like yeah. he told him just deal with it mm, and, and I, I think that's a shitty response to tell your kid to just deal, deal with it but right. before he dies I say um you just try so you always know that you tried and then uh, your dad is right to a certain extent I know you probably like what uh, he is correct to a certain extent how we are on the inside it is on us because we how many times in our lives do we have to forgive people who will never admit they were wrong? How do we move forward if we consistently hold on to that? And I, I'm very honest about my feelings, but at some point, my dad died. So guess what? I had to deal with it. It was on me because he's no longer here. Right. And so I had to find a way to find my worth um, no matter what. And so a part of that, your dad is correct. It is on you to deal with it, but I would, for your peace of mind, for yours, because I was stubborn. Um, the last time I talked to my dad, I was angry. And so I thought maybe just like not talking to him ever again was just going to make him suffer because you're just not going to talk to me. Well, guess what? That didn't work out. Um, we talked, I think, one time when I was in college, and the last words we said were, I love each other. You know, and that was the last, I did not know that would be the last time that I would talk to my dad and I never got to ask him those things. And so I had to go find my worth. I had to find my purpose. I had to stop doing everything that everybody wanted me to do. So some of it, your dad's right. You got to go get it for yourself before your peace of mind. I would try. And if he rejects you or he does that, then you'll deal with that. You seem like a, you'll deal with it. And see, I'm not, well, I'm not the type of person where I'm not going to talk to you to make him suffer because I mean, I I, if he if he calls, I answer. I call him sometime. So y'all do talk. Other. Yeah, we have okay. a relationship okay. or whatever, but still, it's still something that's in the back of my mind. Of, you need like, to get Why that. weren't yeah. you there like you should have been? Why were you there for them and not for me? When I mean, you should have been there for me like you were for them. I mean, you know, that's still in the back of my mind. That's and so, like I deal. said, whenever he told me, you know, his response to my brother is kind of like, uh, well, it's no point. So... But yeah, I mean, you're right. I do have to deal with it, which I am dealing with. So you with. can be okay. Because he might tell you the same thing. And, and, yeah. and be Maybe I should, him. because I'm expecting that response anyways. Or so maybe he, he may, may be in a, he may, I would say he may be possible. in a different space oh, yeah, in regards so yeah. to where he was when it comes to your brother. Because I think that that's the other part. Um, I've had to learn a lot. And just even in my journey with my dad and my stepdad and my siblings and all of the craziness in my life is 
to accept people for who they are and still allow them room to grow and be different people in their lives. And so you may not be... And be real about where they're going right, to be Right, and you. be real about where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. So you may not necessarily be the person that I thought you might have been 10 years ago today because I, I never... My stepdad, I, there's a span of about maybe 10 years that my stepdad didn't talk to me. Just didn't talk to me. Like, I would go in his house. He would go in a different room. He just didn't talk to me. And then, um, one Christmas, I had Legend. I had Legend. And, um, Legend wasn't quite a year yet. Um, I, just one Christmas, he pulls me in a room and reads me this, this paragraph that he's written to me. That he's like, this is how I felt. I was hurt. This is why I was hurt. And I just didn't expect that from my dad. And he's just a completely different person, which allowed me to be. I know it was God just saying people people transforming their way through me. Let me work with them. And that was when I, I started learning that people do change. And that you can't just put people in this box and decide that whatever response you gave me 10 years ago or two years ago or even a month ago, you might still give me. So you may be a complete, he may be a completely different person and you just don't know. Like I said, That's it completely changed from my grandma. He wouldn't talk to my mama. <laughs> like He came in, uh, my dad, my stepdad is a whole different person. Girl, I don't even know who that man is. An and I don't know what happened one. to him. I don't know where... A good one. I don't know where it changed him. I don't mm-hmm. know what transformed him, but mm-hmm. you can go to him now and you he's a completely different person than who he was um, in that 10-year span. And he was just really cold-hearted and really harsh. And he was that, well, I don't know what to tell you, how you feel is on you kind mm-hmm. of person. So you just never really know. I think sometimes, like she said, you know, we take on... And it could be the kid, too. Yeah, it, it could be, be the kid. It could it be how you approach it. Right. Oh, no, and it right. could be the mama. Right. It be, you know, so our so moms many. are different. Because so I do think a lot of men resent the women they have children with. And that shows through the kids that they have kids with. And we hate to hear that part. Not purposely, maybe. Right, not but, purposely, yeah, but yeah. I do think because that it, sometimes there's kids, some resentment. I mean, you don't really know. I don't, I mean, I, I know what type of person my mom was, but I don't know what type of person she was to, to him. him. Right. You know, I really don't know that. And a lot of times, kids, we always want to resent our fathers or whatever for not being there and not doing this when we really don't know the backstory right. behind exactly. it. And when it could have a lot to do with the mother. Right. It could. Not saying it, Their not saying that it was. Yeah, but, but a lot can. of times it... It yeah. does. Or sometimes it does. Because you find out later on like in life that, you know, talk to your daddy, somebody, you right. know, they saying, well, your mom didn't let me. Right. So you never I know. Tried, or, tried and I tried. She didn't or let what me. if I just didn't really like your mama? True. And I really just didn't. <laughs> like, because I told my mom that, you know, my mom has a, her new guy has a, um, a baby that the, with the and the daughter kind of has some resentment. And so moms, I'm talking to my mom about, you know, therapy and my whole walk with therapy because she's talking about some of the things he processes and I'm like well has he gone through therapy he there may be some levels or some spaces in his life that he needs to process and she talks about this child I said well you know as hard as that may sound some men have babies out here they didn't want they just wanted to sleep with the girl they right they didn't that. want the, the baby <laughs> they didn't want so we, you know, and I and I get that that as a child is hard to process because you're like, I didn't ask to be here. Right. I did. But then your mother made a decision to keep you, even if maybe he made the decision that he didn't want you. 
And he had no control over that. So you still may even still be dealing with some of that resentment. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, when we go back to that, like, we don't want to be the kid that, I no, I don't want to be the kid that you didn't want. Or that my dad didn't want or that my mom just decided, you know, it was either, you know, he gave her the option, you know, you can either go to the abortion clinic or I'm not having anything to do with you or that kid. But some of us are a result of that. Do you think that that the parents should be honest with their kid, though? Like, if if that was like a I think so. I think you do. But I think that that parent also needs to, again, deal with that. How they do it. Deal with that. I don't think a lot of mothers are honest with their kids, though. I don't think a lot of mothers are honest. I don't think a lot of fathers come back and say, and say, look, um, I didn't really. But I think that fathers should also, I don't think it's an excuse to not. I don't think, right, I think they leave it too much, and I think they also need to go to therapy and deal with that resentment. You know, I get that you resented their mother, but this child is not, it's only a product of that, but you're still missing out on someone wonderful in that process. And we talk about therapy a lot, but there is a huge stigma in the black community on therapy. Man, therapy rocks. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like... We live in a world where you can't even talk about yourself. You get a whole 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> An hour, depending on your insurance. Okay. To talk about you. And it's all about you and what you're going through. And sometimes I think we just need somebody to hear us. That, Like you said, they don't know you. They can't judge you. They're outside the situation. It's totally objective. Um, I probably should have went to therapy after my mother let me know. My mother actually was honest with me. Oh, she, she was? She did not want me. My my daddy was out there. And and she was young. and But she had me anyway. And so, and, and, and that reflected in a lot, you know, a lot of the way I was raised and a lot of the ways I was kind of shunned back. And I think it's just the shame. It's not just shame of mental illness. What about the shame of having a child that's from a different father than your other kids? Um, what about the shame when Benidre has to leave for three months in the summer? Well, where is she going and the other kids ain't going? I mean, I, now that I'm an adult, exactly, yeah. I'm looking at it like, oh my gosh, she was dealing with some stuff. Because she was, you know, trying to make sure I knew my dad, but you got to go back to church and be like, she went to see her who? You know? <laughs> you know? And, and, and now that I'm an adult, you know, I'm like, man, we, we in our community really deal with some stuff. But if we're just open about it, you know, we talk about Diddy and people be cracking on him. But, you know, everybody knew who his kids was. Exactly. Everybody know who his baby mama is. And he take care of them kids. Now, is it the ideal thing? Probably not, but those kids know who they are. So I think um, not just the stigma of mental illness. We need to give um, our community just the freedom to to make mistakes and, and, and let's own these children because they are ours so that we can love them. I believe a lot of fathers would love their kids if they didn't have that stigma attached. I do too. I think the stigma keeps, stigma keeps us from being who we are. We feel like we have to be perfect, you know. I don't, I don't know. I just think we just need to... Give people a little bit more room, a little bit more grace. Um, and I think we'll be just a better society all over. Give our kids more grace not to be perfect. You know, quit pushing our kids to unreasonable expectations because we didn't meet our own. And I think, you know, we just give people grace. Give them grace. So give your dad grace. You know, I had to give my dad grace. I just wish he was alive to know. But I think he knows. You know, I look just like him. You know, <laughs> you know. When I go off, my mama say, I say, I don't just like them. You know, <laughs> we're a product of them, whether they want us 
or not. And mm-hmm. I didn't feel worthy. I felt like my daddy didn't want me. My mama didn't want me when she was just being honest. She was 21. You know, she just got her body back from having another kid when she was 16. And I, I think about what she had to be going through when she got pregnant with me. Here you are, not married, and now you're coming up with another kid. I could only imagine what was going through that house um, with my grandmother that was raising her and my aunt along. You know, I think about it now. Exactly. But when you're a kid, you're not you thinking like that. All I'm seeing is I'm a problem. So I always been thinking I'm a problem. So when life happens and everybody ain't going to like you, oh, and you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea, you go right back to that child and stuff. I'm like, okay, it's me. Dang it. I'm doing it again. And so I just think we have to reinforce the positive messages into our kids and, and give them grace and room to be who they want to be and give ourselves grace. And reinforce the positive messages within ourselves. Too. In ourselves. So we can, and it'll trickle down. I'm going to go home yeah. and tell my kids, they handsome today. Okay. <laughs> they today. Look, you want it. So before we leave, can you tell, don't, you got to, you got, this is not your only book though, right? You gotta, no, this is my second book. So, okay. So what's the first, the name of the first the book? The first book is Fabulous New Life. That's where I come out and I talk about my story but this book is the book that I wrote after people kept saying after I would go places and speak they were like how do you keep it together and this is like a mental health kind of bible like after every chapter there's like lines for you to put and there's no lines because I don't believe anybody should have to stay in the lines there's like blank pages for you to write notes and self-reflection it talks about forgiveness it talks about moving forward Um, I when you read it, y'all gonna be like, that's some of the stuff we talked about. Like, I shared uh, some of the things in there, and I, I really got raw and shared things in there so that it could help somebody else um, to move forward and live their life. And uh, one of the things I, you know, I agree with is service. Um, I got a chapter in there called Lost in Service. And the best thing you can do when you're feeling bad about your situation is go help somebody else. Because I guarantee you, you're gonna find somebody else whose mama never did get off the streets. And they still trying to put it together. Who didn't get that chance to sit down with their mom and dad? At least you got that chance. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sitting over like, dang, wow. You know, I I would have loved to have talked to my father. I think talking saves lives in all areas. And we need to quit saying people talk too much. It's just who you talk to. Um, Find a safe place. Talk to your families about situations when they come up. Don't be so quick to sweep them under the rug. And that's the biggest thing that this book talks about. Because if you keep sweeping it under the rug, if you keep sweeping dirt under the rug, after a while you're going to step on that rug and it's going to be a big old lump. That lump is not going away just because you swept it. And so with all issues in our life, I believe that when we don't deal with them, that affects our mental health. From six years old, I, I write in there about me from six to 37. That's a long time. It That's is. 31 years of my life. That's a lot of baggage. I am not surprised that I ended up on that table fighting for my life. Because what, I'm carrying it and I'm just packing on one more thing. The relationship that didn't work. Getting fired from the job. Broken relationship with my friends. You know, not enough money. And you just keep packing these things on. And so, you know, what you don't deal with, it'll deal with you. And so, and that's why I wrote that book. And, you know, I wrote that book in 2017 and it's still, it's helping people. It's still, I mean, I haven't had a chance to really, I have some projects in the works, but that one is still helping people. I believe that was a God assignment. And, you know, as long as it helps people, I'll be out here talking about it. So where can they find your book? So you can find my book several places, but the best place um, is www.bsmith.com dot live and that's pretty much where it can connect you with all my social media platforms 
Um, you can order books. You know, I'm an advocate for suicide prevention and mental health. And so it's just, uh, that's my mission. What is the award you just got to be? Huh? What award? You just got an award. Oh, what man. Award? That was, uh, uh, man, I'm, I'm scared when those pictures come out because I'm, I'm going to be on the pictures all crying. I'm like, <laughs> like, she might be an advocate. Ooh, she looks special looking. I cried like a baby. So on last week, matter of fact, last Saturday, I won the Dr. Uh, R. Morali Krishna Family Award uh, for eliminating the stigma of mental illness and brain conditions. So for my ad advocacy, I was recognized uh, for my work in the community and especially, and then what really got me is when he said, especially in the African-American community. Um, and he shared the story. He's Indian. And so he shared what happened with his mom. And he was like, I'm so glad that you're in your community sharing and eliminating the stigma and just encouraging people, grandmas and grandpas and aunties and uncles and cousins to look out for each other. That's how we really look out for each other. My life would have been lost for nothing. And so um, I, I don't want anybody to be lost when you can get help. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I wouldn't see my son graduate. Like, I cry at everything now. So I cry when I got the award. <laughs> I cry when my son get a touchdown. I'll be like, <laughs> he, just got, he just got one of his free throws. You know, yeah. And, you know, and and I I appreciate life so much. And so to your listeners, if you're out there and you're mainly listening to this because you're suffering from depression, suicide, maybe you're just not feeling like yourself, man, life it's so amazing. It's so many ugly things and, and and mean people and bad things. But if you really look around, there's just there's more good things, good people, experiences. And the only way you're going to get through those bad experiences and get to those good people is you got to keep living. And I was so excited, girl. I was like, I told them when I first, I was like, yeah, I'm going to inbox. I was like, y'all got to hear, you got to hear. That award came with a check, I was too, like, listen, you heard me. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is no kind of award. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I got a herpes. She's amazing. You know, I heard you speak before, and I was like, I'm gonna just ask her. I'm just ask her and see what she said. Then I'm like, if she yeah. say no, it just I'm like, I'm gonna ask her. She'll come on. So I'm really thankful that you came on because when I heard you speak, I mean, you're an amazing speaker. I love. Oh, you know, I was nervous love that day. Energy. I was nervous that day because that would have been the first time that you don't hung out me. We don't went on vacation yeah, we went together, on together yeah. and for you to hear that. You know, that was really an honesty part of me, yes. you know, for you to know, okay, it really was something wrong with her. It really was. Yes. So I really thank you for coming on. Oh, no I problem. Really do. Uh, I'm glad to be here. This is great. Thank you. We appreciate we you coming on. Um, you guys know you can um, catch us. We are on with a new episode every Sunday on um, SoundCloud and YouTube. It's Mocha Tea Podcast. Um, every Monday and Friday, um, we'll have, oh, I'm sorry, y'all know I'm not. <laughs> you gave us a disclaimer in the beginning. I did. <laughs> um, Spotify and Anchor also, um, just click the link on our bios. Um, it's a link tree by, um, link in our bios. It'll give you every option to be able to listen to us and we continue to keep sharing that. Um, whenever we share our new post. Um, and those are also options. You can listen to us every day of the week, um, Sunday through Saturday, back over to Sunday again. Um, but we do release a new episode every Sunday. Um, we are on Seattle Hip Hop Radio now, um, Monday through Friday. Hey. 
Um, I don't know what time he will be playing us Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but I do know um, for sure Monday and Friday is 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, so I am going to assume that. However, you guys can listen to his um, platform 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Um, so we should be on there at any time. He's going to start replaying some of the episodes, so um, just be on the lookout for that. Um, you guys, we are on Instagram, uh, Mocha T underscore podcast. We are on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Mocha T podcast. Um, we have our Gmail account, which is Mocha T 2018 at gmail.com. And I'm about to lose it. Um, I'm giving so much. I'm running a breath. I'm sorry, y'all. Let me take a deep breath. <laughs> and I'm trying not to cough in the middle. Um, you guys, thank you for your support. Thank you for always being there to listen. Um, thank you for your kind words. Um, we just appreciate it. And um, we are out. <laughs>